Good morning and happy Mother's Day to all you mothers and those of you who have mothers. I'm so glad that you are here. Um, please make sure that you um, take advantage of the tasty, tasty Hertz donuts available to you on the back table because I don't want to take them all home. Actually, I really do, but <laughs> I'm lying. And there I confess, now I can preach, right? So anyway, uh, no, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we had seen earlier in the week that um, the weather forecast was going to be for rain today. And so I'm really glad that it held off till, I guess, tomorrow is when it's supposed to come. So um, what I want to do is uh, I want to wrap up the series uh, called The Road Out of Town so that we can all go take advantage of this beautiful, beautiful weather with our mothers and those of us who have mothers. That's great. So, cool. Uh, we're exploring the aftermath of the resurrection, and that's the last time you'll hear Willie Nelson in church for a little while. That's okay. Um, I'm sad too, but it, it's fine. Um, there's, there's a life cycle to things, and this one's coming to a close. Um, but we, we spent the time leading up to Easter talking about the road that Jesus took to Jerusalem, and then all of the things that happened in Jerusalem, and then finally, we're now uh, talking about this this idea that it was never supposed to stay there. That the the, the events, uh, the observations, the experience, the witness of the things that were occurring in Jerusalem were supposed to go out into the world, and we've been talking a lot about that um, over the last couple of weeks. In fact, uh, here it is in Acts chapter one. And Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we spent a couple of weeks just talking about that, because that is packed with all kinds of, of um, uh, interesting things for us as, as followers of Jesus and, and uh, how we might think about this idea of witnessing. <clears throat> and so uh, witness requires some type of spiritual power. Have you noticed that? When, when you're in a position where you can actually talk about Jesus, there's this little part of you that kind of goes, can I really do this? <laughs> right? That, that happens. And I think um, we need some creativity sometimes when we, when we talk about, about Jesus, especially uh, to people who might not know him. And the Holy Spirit is that source, and that's what we find in this passage. You will receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, I want to make just a, one brief comment about this. The point of this passage is not the power. The point of the passage is the Holy Spirit. Okay, just so that we're clear on that one. Uh, you will receive uh, power when the Holy Spirit comes, and the Spirit is the source of that. And then sure enough, in Acts chapter 2, um, especially in the um, first couple of verses, the Holy Spirit shows up in rather dramatic form. And if you've spent any time in the church, you know about the little tongues of fire that land on their heads. And, and uh, what, what happens then? When, when the Holy Spirit comes, they begin speaking, this group of disciples, if you remember the story. And what were they speaking about? And here it is in... Um, uh, verse 11 of Acts chapter 2. The people around the disciples says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So you have this group of redneck Jewish men, primarily, 
And they're speaking languages that they've, they've never done before because there's a bunch of different people, a bunch of different nationalities in Jerusalem at this particular time. And they say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. This is very interesting. But notice the content. The wonders of God. That's the content of the message, of the things that they're hearing. So they're talking about witness. The things that they observed as disciples, being in proximity to Jesus, they're declaring these things, this idea of witness. They tell us what they saw. Now, keep in mind, those of you who have been part of the last couple of messages, there's no turn or burn message here. There's no wagging a finger in the face. They're declaring the wonders of God. There's no megaphones. There's no t-shirts. There's no signs. Can you imagine what that would look like, actually? Okay, so all the disciples say, okay, Bartholomew, you're in charge of t-shirts. Make sure it's as inflammatory and as offensive as we possibly can make them within the confines of, of our new faith. Okay, and, uh, and uh, Mark, okay, here's, here's what you're, you're responsible for. You need to make the signs. Make sure they're big and really obnoxious. This is, this is what happens here. This is not the kind of witness. And the other thing that I want you to keep in mind, God created the opportunity for these people to speak. It wasn't something they had to go out and find. In fact, their rabbi had just been executed. Keeping a low profile, probably a good idea, don't you think? And yet, here we find the Spirit coming upon them, giving them power, and they're declaring content, wonders of God, and people just happen to hear them. Pretty amazing, right? Very different than our friends who are on the street preaching at people. So Acts chapter 2 describes their witness, this good news and their signs and wonders just like Jesus did. And what happens to the church? The church grows. In fact, at one point, 3,000 people were added to their number. That's pretty good size, right? Instant megachurch, just add spirit, right? It's that kind of a thing. And so we have this, this beautiful picture of what happens because of witness. When we, when we think about witness as we're supposed to, it's this idea of seeing where God is working, observing it, telling others when it's appropriate, and then demonstrating it uh, when we can in some way, shape, or form. Now, as you can imagine... <clears throat> as this is the case with these kinds of things, uh, the religious establishment, the Jewish religious establishment, uh, wasn't happy about this turn of events, right? I mean, think, think about it this way. If, if uh, we took our church and just showed up at one of the local mega churches and we just decided to have our own service in the middle of their, of their lobby, that would be pretty annoying, wouldn't you think? That's kind of what's going on here as the church is beginning to grow. They're still going to the temple. They're still doing the things that, that Jewish people are, are required to do, that they're supposed to do, they're expected to do, and yet they're adding this Jesus component to it, and they're meeting in the temple courts, and they're praying, and they're talking about Jesus, and other people are interested in it. You're going to aggravate somebody, right? You're, you're kind of stepping on toes at that point, and, and sure enough, that's what happens with the Jewish establishment. And of course, they thought that they had squashed this whole Jesus thing with, with the crucifixion. And there's this growing tension between the Jewish temple and, and this fledgling little church. 
that's talking about Jesus, that's witnessing the things that he's doing. And what's so fascinating to me is that when we read through the text, it's not just all of the stuff that the disciples saw previously, but it's the things that they're continuing to see Jesus do through his spirit. So it's a witness, not just in the past tense, it's a continuing witness. And so, you know, the kind of the, the message for us is pay attention to what God's doing now, not just what he's done in the past, so that you have something that you can, you can bear witness to. And this whole thing just kind of explodes in Acts chapter 6 and 7 when a certain Christian named Stephen uh, was preaching, got into some trouble, uh, had a <clears throat> bit of an argument with the Jewish establishment. They take him out and they stone him to death. He is the second Christian martyr, the first one being Jesus, of course, right? So Stephen um, is witnessing. He's telling these people what he's seen, what he's experienced, and he loses his life over it. And it sets into motion some very powerful events, some surprises and even some insights into how God operates. And we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'd suggest that you turn there. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the first few verses of this. Uh, if you don't, that's cool because I'll have it up on the screen for you. So Acts chapter 8, let me start with verse 1. <clears throat> this is immediately when Stephen uh, was killed. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Paul began to destroy the church. Sorry, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, let's hit the pause button here, because I think there's some... some Fascinating things happening. Notice first, um, where were they scattered? Judea and Samaria. Where have we heard that before? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yep, that's where all this has taken place. Judea and Samaria, right? Huh. So they're scattered throughout. And up until that moment, up until the moment of persecution, they had been in Jerusalem. What were they doing? Witnessing. What happened to the church? It grew. And then notice the language in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, we need to understand this word just a little bit. Because in 21st century context, we, we think about, well, kind of what I'm doing here. You know, you go to a service, you sit down, and somebody preaches. The word that's used here, um, some of you have heard me talk about this before, is a really interesting word. It's Greek, because that's what the language of the New Testament, and it's euangelion. Let me hear you say euangelion. Okay, that was kind of like the teacher from peanuts. <laughs> I know, it's okay. Euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism, okay? So there's a, there's a, a tie there, but the word itself was actually um, a Greek word that was used by Romans, 
And specifically, a euangelion was a, a formal proclamation made by the Roman government. And it was good news. So if, um, uh, let's say, the Roman legions had scored a major victory against a powerful opponent, there would be a proclamation, a euangelion. Good news. Caesar has defeated the hordes, whatever it happens to be. Or if it was the emperor's birthday, there would be a euangelion. Good news, it is the emperor's birthday. Or if there was some other major event that the government wanted to, to proclaim publicly and openly, they used this word, euangelion. And isn't it cool how the Christians co-opted the term? You think that's good news? Let me tell you. So the word that's here is those who had been scattered, euangelion, the word. They preached that word. They proclaimed this good news wherever they went. Interesting, isn't it? And I think there, it's very appropriate for us to maybe even talk about this idea of witness, that that was the telling, the good news. Let me tell you what Jesus had done for me and what he can do for you, depending on how that, that relationship is that they're having with the person. But the, but the point is, is that there is good news here. There is something positive that happened to this individual, and they're willing to talk about it. Public proclamation, this idea of preaching, being very open and overt. The very thing, by the way, that they're being persecuted for, which I think is fascinating. All right, let's keep going on. Witness, again. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Yeah, I can imagine. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Now, Philip. Let's talk about Philip for a moment. Who is this person, Philip? We actually first encounter him in Acts chapter 6. So he's one of seven uh, individuals, uh, along with Stephen, by the way, who are tasked with distributing food equitably to those people in need. So the story goes that the disciples were, were trying to make sure that uh, those who were in need actually had food to eat, which is uh, ex exactly what um, um, they ought to be doing. We're trying to alleviate suffering here. Uh, but they realized that it was interfering with some of their uh, other responsibilities, their other calling. And so they appointed seven individuals to, you know, basically uh, wait tables and distribute food equitably, making sure that nobody is, is um, uh, left behind. So you can kind of put it this way. Philip's a systems guy. You know, yes, Philip's kind of waiting tables here, but he, in our parlance around Thrive, is he's on the serve team, okay? He's making sure that, that people are, are well-fed. And they were appointed so that the disciples could focus on their own calling and, of course, really avoid the fact that, that somebody goes hungry. We don't, we don't want that to happen. And yet, isn't it interesting that here we are in chapter 8, just two chapters later, we find him, <laughs> we find him proclaiming Jesus and performing signs and wonders, Right? Here, here's the lesson I think that we need to pay attention to. Don't let your title dictate your witness. Right? Don't let your title actually dictate the kinds of things that you do. Here's, here's Philip, and he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, 
in, uh, in Jerusalem, he was waiting tables and he was and, uh, passing out the food, checking on the widows and orphans, doing all of those things. And yet, we are each called to a certain amount of, of witness. We see what God is doing. We, we, we tell others about uh, what he's doing, and we show it, we demonstrate it as, as we're able to. And for some of us, that's a very public thing. For others, it's a personal thing, uh, just in a conversation. But for everybody, it's very simple. It's a very simple thing to witness. And regardless of what your role is, what you're um, uh, tasked with, whether you're in the church or in your family, don't let that dictate your witness because we're all called to see what God is up to (laughs) and to tell other people about it. I think that's important for us to remember. And notice, too, where he's at. I think this is fun. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Now, remember the history? We talked about this a little bit last week. Samaritans and Jews don't get along. Bottom line. In fact, they'd really rather punch each other in the throat than to you know, spend time with one another. And this is really a smart move on Philip's part, quite frankly. Because there's no religious leader that's going to follow him there. So no wonder they ended up in Samaria. You know, just the, the persecution's going to end probably at that particular border. So uh, when you have uh, a storm, you will take any port, right? Any port in a storm. And that's what Samaria was. And it's really interesting because we see what actually occurs here. So bottom line, don't let your uh, title dictate what your witness is. And so it, it's, an, it's an interesting little story, and yet, i got to be honest, there's some things in here that are, are kind of uncomfortable, too. Um, and I think there's some, some insights in this story, because Philip's, um, his life, his, his adventures are certainly amazing. And I would recommend that you just finish reading out Acts chapter 8, because of all of the things that, that he does. And by the way, he does all of this on the road. He is traveling around doing this. Um, some amazing things occur. And I think he's a fitting person to end our series um, because it is so dramatic. When Jesus said that this message was going to go out, it went out on the back of Philip in many ways, at least first, in dramatic form. And so let me offer just a couple of quick thoughts as we kind of wrap this up. First of all, I want you to know this. God is more interested in his kingdom than in your comfort. Now, deep sigh. Let me hit the pause button and just simply say this. That is not to say that Jesus doesn't care about your comfort. I'm not saying that, okay? Because that would be contrary to the good news. You know, Jesus wants to alleviate suffering in our lives too, okay? But... There is a bigger plan that's at stake. And we are with him in that. We are partnering with him in order to accomplish this thing. And so the kingdom is his primary responsibility. It's his primary interest. Our comfort is not necessarily that. And by the way, the best way to grow is to deal with challenge. I know we don't want to hear that. It would be much easier for us if we could just sit on our couch and grow spiritually. Wouldn't that be cool? It doesn't work that way. Or, by the way, if it works for you that way, please write a book so I can read about it and do it myself. Right? You'd be rich. Okay? But it doesn't work that way. It, it, uh, it never really does. 
And when we encounter those kinds of challenges, that's when we grow. Notice how this thing got started. It was with persecution. Now, I want to be careful about this. I'm, um, this isn't my notes, but I, I really feel like I need to say this. Persecution is an overused term in the United States, um, especially among evangelical Christians. Uh, some of you have heard me tell this story before, uh, but I was in a seminary class with a man from Ethiopia, and we were talking about um, persecution in that class. And uh, th this man was very quiet most of the time, and then he said, um, during this discussion, he goes, the second time I was incarcerated by the communists, this is what happened to me. That room got real quiet real fast because none of us really understood persecution like he did. So when we talk about persecution and people being dragged off because of their faith, this is what they were experiencing. And in, in some cases, you know, we said, and we read that word, and yeah, we kind of have this intellectual understanding, but at the time, Christians did not see persecution as a good thing. We look back and go, oh yeah, this is how the church got started. Great. <laughs> yeah, not if you were, you know, that person who is, you know, had a family member getting dragged off and you were next, right? I, I mean, this is... This is a big deal we need to think about. But persecution moved the good news. And Jesus was interested about the kingdom. Now, please understand, God did not orchestrate the persecution. To me, that would be contrary to the God of love that we know. But God leveraged something that was occurring. That's a God of redemption. He can take a negative circumstances and do something positive with it. That is redemption, that is renewal, that is restoration, that can be re reconciliation. It can be all of those things. So I don't believe God orchestrated it, but I do think that God actually leveraged all of this in order to advance his kingdom. And so here's the challenge for you and me, is that we see something negative in our lives. Now, how many of you have had some negative experiences in your life? Be honest now, you in church, right? How many of you experienced that this week? Yeah? Most of us have in some way, shape, or form. But here's the challenge for us to actually kind of reframe this a little bit and ask ourselves, that negative event, is there something here that can be redeemed, that can be restored, that can be reconciled, that can be renewed? And with Jesus' help, brothers and sisters, the good news today is, yes, it can be. And it may stink on the way through, and you may hate it, but the bottom line is that there may be a bigger picture that's going on. So ask yourself, what might God do with this? What might he do with this? See if that changes your attitude, too. I, for me, it does. Which, you know what? I don't like that sometimes, too, because sometimes I like being grumpy, right? And then I start asking questions, and Jesus starts entering the picture, and I can't be grumpy anymore. All right, here's the second one. God is more interested in his message than in your role. Philip wasn't assigned a speaking position. He was passing out food and waiting on tables. However, he saw God work through the disciples. He, he told the Samaritans about it, and then he showed them with signs and wonders, just like the disciples did. He went and he just repeated. And by the way, the same effect happened. There was great joy in the city. Well, of course, things change. When you see suffering alleviated, when you see dramatic things happen, when God is actually on the move. And so the challenge here for all of us is that we see that we all share in witness. 
And I've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, but really it's about seeing where God is moving in your own life or in the life of another person. Now, it's not wrong to, to be encouraged by someone else's story and then encourage someone else. In fact, I think that that's just efficient, right? We can spread that story and get it to go out a little bit further just because I'm willing to share something that I've noticed happened to you. And I think that's really an important thing. And so we see God move in our lives and in someone else's, and then we talk about it when it's appropriate. Not yelling at people in the street corner, that's not what I'm talking about, but when you're in a conversation and, and you just, you have that moment where you're like, you know, I think God's got something to say about this, and you mention it. When I first moved to Kentucky um, to attend seminary, it was a few uh, months before I actually started classes, and so I got uh, a job working as a as a temporary accountant at a racehorse training facility, which is really cool, by the way. Um, and uh, the person that had hired me um, was there a couple of weeks and was going through some, some circumstances. And uh, she pulled me into her office to tell me that she was actually leaving the job. It was like just really depressing because I, I liked her. She was a good, good manager. And she was kind of trying to tell me why she was leaving without actually saying it because there was some office politics. You know, people, human beings get together and we, we like politics. That's what happens. And uh, there was this thought that occurred to me. I'm like, you know what? I, she might need some prayer. Now remember, I had not been to seminary yet. This is all kind of new for me. I got a little bit of training from my church. And I just, I just asked her. I mean, went way out on a limb here. Very uncomfortable for me. I said, can I pray for you? And she goes, you know, that kind of look and like, what? And I, I said, you know, can I pray for you? And she goes, well, yeah. And I'm like, right now? <laughs> well, yeah. And I don't remember what I said. I just remember praying for her, asking God to take care of her and her family. And at the end, she was crying. No, that wasn't me. That was something where you witness God moving in the moment and you say, you know, God might be here. Can I pray for you? And it wasn't weird. It was natural. It's only weird if you make it weird. And if somebody says no, that's okay. That's not on you. That's on them. And by the way, just because they say no to praying right with them right there doesn't mean you can't get in your car and be praying for them. Right? It's called sneaky prayer. <laughs> we can do that too. So we tell others when it's appropriate, and we demonstrate it either by serving them or praying for them, whether it's with them out in the open or whether it's behind the scenes. And my question is, will God do, still do signs and wonders? I don't know, but I kind of want to find out. How about you? Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be doing anything here at Thrive Church where there are going to be demons coming out with shrieks, okay? That's, I, you know, that's not kind of how we practice this. But the point that I'm saying is, is that, you know, in the moment when I'm talking to this woman who is clearly going through something in her life that is breaking her heart and the tears begin to well up in her eyes, tell me that's not something. I don't know what kind of sign or wonder it was for her, but apparently that's what she needed in that moment, and I was glad to be a part of it. 
It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the people that we're talking to and about what Jesus wants to do in their lives. So ask yourself how you might offer good news. What's the good news here? What's the euangelion? What is that thing that this person needs to hear that Jesus actually offers? See, here's the thing. You get the little bumper sticker that says Jesus is the answer. I want to take a Sharpie on the back and write, what's the question? (laughs) Right? Because the question is, Jesus is the answer based on where that person is right in that particular moment. And, and yes, he might be the answer, but the way that you communicate that has to do with witness. It has to do with noticing how God is moving and then talking about it when it's appropriate and demonstrating it in a way that makes sense to them. What's the good news? Where's the love? Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Where's the peace that you can offer? What kind of value and contribution can you make to their life? And it's not about turning and burning. It's about meeting them where they are and and allowing them to say, you know what, Jesus has something to say about that. And you use your language, whatever it is. You don't have to use mine. You don't have to use some preacher on television or YouTube or whatever. You use your language. And it will be perfect and appropriate in that moment because it's a Holy Spirit thing. Let me just encourage you. And by the way, it strikes me that today, um, the people who are gathered here, you know what, you might need good news. I don't know where your life is but you might need some good, good news. And this good news that we talk about, this euangelion is for you too. It's not just once when you first choose to follow Jesus. You can be a Christian who has done this for a few short minutes or have done it all of your life. It doesn't matter. The good news is still for you. Even if you have that inner conflict, maybe you've got self-esteem issues or you've got a relational issue that's going on with someone close to you, there is good news here. I don't know what it is, but I trust that God does.